You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 636, Curb Your Enthusiasm, the final season, how Greg Wallace went viral, BBC Radio Get It Wrong Again, and farewell to Aston Family Man Barrett, Steve Brown and Steve Wright. That's all coming up after Eddie and the Hot Rods and Get Out of Denver. were the first British punk band uh, ahead mm. of the, the Clash, the Damned, even the Pistols, who in fact were their support act when this EP was recorded. Uh, number 43 in the UK in 1976, live at the marquee, Eddie on the Hot Rods and Get Out of Denver. 
It's funny you should say that. I would have them more slightly towards pub rock than mm. than punk rock. But of course, uh, your man Joe Strummer and and the set and the uh, se- was it the seventy sixers he was in one oh one ers yeah one oh one ers sorry pub rock yeah, mm. uh, yeah that was pub rock but yeah, yeah I really liked Eddie in the Hulk Rocks. Um, I um, I believe that they did do what you want to do. Was that they was did. that then? That, that was, was played at my lovely Pal Neil's funeral. So I will always oh. be well disposed towards Eddie and the Hulk Rocks as a result. And also they're one of those bands who I used to see on all, all those old Top of the Pops. Two type things they, where they'd always go, where they'd always announce them. You think, oh no, Eddie in the Hot Rocks, and mm. you know, yawn. And actually, I would always enjoy it. Yeah, they, they, they move like fury. They don't do. They? So they really wore, they sort of wore me down in the end. And yes. I, I, they're not one of the bands who I would necessarily reach an album of theirs. But I don't switch the radio off if they're on. Put it that way. So, and I, I enjoyed that song as well. I was wondering with your band, have you thought of covering that Get Out of Hastings? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so we could be the A21ers, possibly, yes, which is, of course, yes, the root out of Hastings for mm. non-Hastings people. But, yes, you know, we're, we're, should we reform at some point? Mm. Not that we've ever split up. Should we become active again? We will add that to the list of... I'm um, pleased to hear list it. Of, uh, there, by, by the way, speaking of which, on the A21, there mm. is a cafe, there is a roadside cafe called Route 1066, which oh, I'm... Oh, very I'm, good. I'm, that I'm, is I'm very good. Of, I must say. So yeah. we are... We, the, 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 uh, I'm not sure whether or not my favourite lorry, local locally William the Concreter has ever stayed there or not there was also a guy that sold ice cream from others called William the Conqueror as well that had a <laughs> had a large bell that he and a horn that he used to toot to announce himself he used to wear like a straw boater he was I don't even think he was actually called William he just decided it was too good a marketing opportunity to to, to pass up really so we do yes. like to name things for our local heritage here you there have is also, a bizarre world down there well, you really do well you order if you come and visit I'll take the new off license it's called the bottle of hastings and <laughs> that opened a few weeks ago so uh, so yes we we like to lean into our local yes. heritage here welcome to the parish council it's episode 636 i'm terence dahakam and disappointingly not asked to perform at super bowl 2024 <laughs> <laughs> it's julia harris i'd offered to cover eddie and the hot rods and everything <laughs> and they weren't interested uh, uh, well at least we'd have no wardrobe malfunctions involving my uh, cardigans unlike super bowl's past but anyway sadly not hugged by a weeping taylor swift at the end maybe uh, maybe another year but anyway hello everybody I stayed up for much the whole thing. It, it, it finished at four o'clock UK time. Also, the thing I like, the thing that I sort of dislike about American sports, mm. I want to approve of it. First, it's all at the wrong time for me, and I know that it's in America. But I, yes. I like you, I don't feel that that should hold me back, hold it yeah, back. Um, but therefore... even if it wasn't at the wrong time for me, it's so long. Yes. They stop anything over there. I mean, yeah. I know people accuse our footballers over here of being histrionic, but literally, it's it just it it, it starts. It stops. Something blows onto the pitch. They stop it. They start it again. They're all like that. The American sports. The basketball is as bad as well. I'm. It's. I. I mean. You know. I. I. I wish them well in their sporting endeavours. But why does it have to be like five hours long? I really don't understand. Well, partly because they stopped for like half an hour, forty minutes for Usher to come on and uh, well... do the halftime show. He was very good. Oh, uh, I, I, I can imagine that Usher probably would be quite good, really. I saw notices of him where he was, fa- fa- was sort of compared unfavourably to Rihanna. But then, to be honest, if you compared all of us to Rihanna, yeah. I suspect we would fall short. So, 
Well, as we know, sometimes I like to surprise you and the listener with a quick quiz, which is K-W-I-K-K-W-I-Z. Excellent. uh, Spelt with an X and no E on the end. Everybody sit up and listen to to the quiz. Quick, come on. This is one of those occasions for a quick quiz. I have a music-related question for you, Mm, and I'm going to give you four multiple-choice possible answers. So I have a 25% chance at least of getting it right, even if I don't know the answer. Great. Exactly so. Um, You'll be aware of the... The rock band The Who. Uh, yes, uh, The Who. Yes, yeah. The Who. Yes. Pleased to hear it. Their bass player, John Entwistle, died Ooh. at the early age of 57 he in did. June 2002. My question is what happened at his funeral in 2002 at St Edward's Church, Stow in the Wold, in the Cotswolds? Hmm. And I'm going to give you four options. Okay. One of these happened at his funeral in 2002. One, after the coffin was lowered, Queen guitarist Brian May fell into the grave. Right. <laughs> Two, John Entwistle's wife Lisa eloped with the vicar who led the service. Three, Roger Daltrey was arrested after getting into a fist fight with the gravediggers. Four, actor Oliver Reed was supposed to give a reading in the church but sang an obscene sea shanty instead. Now, all of these are excellent. Do you know, One of them is true. I'd, I'd, so I might have this completely wrong, and uh, apologies to everybody who is dead in this story, if so. Mm. But I'm going to go for D. That sounds like an Oliver Reed thing that Oliver Reed would do. Lisa Pritchard Johnson ran away oh, with the no! vicar. Oh, that is mad. On I the day know. of the service. Oh, my God. That is, that is. She, he was later reconciled with his forgiving wife. I mean that that wife is is you know she she truly is the true child of God I think really for, <laughs> for that for goodness sake who does that and don't I take them on the day, on the day of the funeral I just thought that is that is too that is too unlikely too ridiculous I know I know. I've got another fact about Lisa for you. She, wow. well, she, was, she was a former girlfriend of Eagles guitarist Joe Walsh. But right. um, well, this is a supplementary question, really. How many dogs did Lisa <laughs> and John Entwistle have at their 42-acre Cotswold estate? Oh, my gosh. Shall oh. I tell you? Yeah, go on. 13 Rottweilers. Oh, man. I mean, I'd want to run away just to get away from them, really. That would, it I would mean, keep I, the Jehovah Witnesses away from the front door, wouldn't I it? I mean, that, 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 has, that has to be said. At some some, year, some time ago, I um, I, I was with a group of political canvassers, and, and, and I sent someone to knock on the door, and they came back and they said, oh, can we not knock on their door anymore on a Saturday morning because they're Jehovah's Witnesses? And someone else in our group commented, oh, see, they're not so keen, <laughs> are they, on that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but then... <laughs> quite we um we all had a bit of a chuckle and moved on but um and, and i did take them off our list but yes honestly what a what yes. a wacky world people live Indeed. in um you can steal that one as well if you wish by the way anybody as well you want to steal that for your own quizzes um absolutely yeah. do yeah. i mean what happened and also the dogs i mean both, <laughs> that are good. both are extraordinary facts aren't they um this week saw the return of curb your enthusiasm to television in both the us and the uk <laughs> Season 12 is tinged with sadness as Larry David is insisting this is the last season. Um, it's amazing to think Larry David, Larry David sorry, was only 52 when Curb started. It's uh, oh, wow. inc- 
incredible Hi. run. Um, episode one of season 12 aired this uh, very last week. And as ever, an incredible amount of action and storylines to sort of crisscross in 30 minutes. We learn that Maria Sophia has become a breakout star after her performances in Young Larry. And she accompanies Larry and Leon to a birthday party in Atlanta, where they're being paid to attend a party. Uh, Larry promises to be cordial in order to secure the <laughs> huge payment. Um, Jules, does Larry succeed in being cordial? And is this a winning, winning return for Kurt? Oh, this programme. I, <laughs> I, I love it. And I watch it through one hand against <laughs> my forehead. I just, and the thing is, is that actually, I have to be honest, I only ever seem to watch the first episode of each series when you send to me because I've only just recently acquired Sky, so, or, or at least now Entertainment anyway, so I can I can at least try and now watch it. But I just the thing about it is is that I love it, but it takes ye- it takes years off my life watching this <laughs> program. It's it's so good and it's so hideous at the same time because the best thing about it is the fact that Larry David is this anti-hero where really unreasonable things happen to him but he does nothing to help himself ever. The performances are always absolutely incredible. I, I'm a big, big fan of uh, J.B. Smoove as uh, as Leon <laughs> Black. He's just, he's so good. There was various things about pop, pop body parts calling people. Um, didn't it start with with someone with with a who was the woman singing at the beginning, singing the advert? Was it meant to be a partner of Larry? That's, that yeah, that's Tracy Ullman. That um, he then that he then diarised that he was going to break up from. It was it yeah. was just it was it was unbelievable from start to finish. Otherwise, the whole thing starts at starts at eleven, as Spinal Tap would put it, and then just continues. You just <laughs> they're never going to keep this pace up, and they always do. And it's I, I really really loved the breakout star on her constant posing and selfie, in which was genuinely hilarious. So much of this was so good, and I mean I, I almost don't want to spoil it, but the but the sort of slight revelation at the end, which you suddenly know is going to set the hairs running for the whole season. Um, it's it's so everything about this was just it was oh I I just almost I just almost can never quite deal with it because. I, I get exhausted from feeling really sorry for Larry and then loathing him 10 <laughs> seconds later and then flipping back again. I mean, it is operatic and it's kind of, and it's just the fact that like everyone shouts at each other constantly in this. It's so, there are just so many scenes where people just, it's just a load of shouting, which I almost can't deal with. But I, it reminds me of something that Grace Dent said once in her lovely book, Hungry, her sort of first memoir, where she she talked about how that sort of starting off life in the Daily Mirror newsroom when Piers Morgan was editor. And she said that she found it very comforting because it reminded her of the dense living room growing up where everybody shouted all the time and, and, and for, for no reason at all. And it was a bit like this, really. It was it was just it's, it's a very shouty program, but it's. It's just really funny, and and it, he, and Larry David. I mean, he does carry the whole thing because he is Larry David, and this version of Larry David that he plays of himself is just it's so. And, and the, what what's so clever about this is it toys you, so you think that every situation is going to explode and become appalling, and actually every so often it blindsides you by situation just being a bit bad. So when they were in the restaurant and their food was late, and it was explained that the server's mum had died, and the server recently the server then comes out 
with their food, which he is holding, and and is then receiving condolences from a, from another 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 customer. Now David walks up to him, you think, oh no, there's going to be a row. <laughs> he just sympathises, takes the tray of food from him, and then walks off and serves <laughs> them. And you just it's just and that's so clever because you think that everything is going to be like this terrible situation, <laughs> and sometimes just isn't and i i mean in a way i'm sort of glad that it is the last series because i don't know how much more of this <laughs> i take the dance i mean and the nicest of ways because it is brilliant but oh man i thought this is a massively impressive return for curb with larry david i think it's on top form as you say having to deal with that waiter just was just sensational start and then a wonderful segment almost after that when larry becomes infuriated with siri when she misunderstands his request oh, for directions in the car incredible. he that wants was, to go to wolf's glen restaurant in westwood and <laughs> she keeps it's, getting it's, it wrong i mean <laughs> the, the way in which i mean the language is appalling but it's also really funny the way that i mean which of us has not ended up <sighs> Um, yes, I, 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 my other half seems to have what I can only describe as a very fraught equivalent with the with the Google equivalent of yes, this, um, a very fraught relationship. So I'm yes. not quite sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, how do they do it? Because it's really not good. One chilling moment came for me when Larry pocket dials Leon, and the situation comes to haunt him later on in the show. But it's chilling because. I, I do this all the time, including this very week, accidentally dialing a family member at 5am, which was excruciatingly oh, embarrassing. Um, I reached out. This is absolutely true. It was dark. I woke up. I just reached out to my phone to, to um, see what the time was. Being lazy, I didn't want to turn the other way and look at the clock. So I just reached my phone, mm. um, dropped the phone, and oh, somehow no. that started it dialing uh, a oh, family member at no. 5am. Yes. Oh. Um, uh, Tracy Ullman's um, character, yes, yeah, she, she has a cameo at the beginning, as you say, singing an um, irritating <laughs> commercial. Um, continues to be uh, con- con- incredibly irritating. Uh, Larry, as you say, has promised to stay in the relationship for six months, but I love the way he crosses off her calendar in the manner yes. of a, like a prisoner marking off five bar <laughs> gates on the wall of his cell. And you just know that that's another hell that's been set it's, running exactly. as well, hasn't it? What's going to happen as a result of that? Um, I mean, so much happens in the half hour. We have the Brook Brookie naming conundrum, the stretch spectacles, oh. the hotel maid that goes rogue. So, yeah, Curb is back as wonderful as ever. Curb Your Enthusiasm available on Sky Comedy in the UK and HBO Max in the USA. And it should come when they when they put that out on DVD, <laughs> it should come with like a brown paper bag to sort of blow into coming next how greg wallace went viral last week and bbc radio gets it all wrong again that's right after tears are
know very much about this artist. Recently, I was driving about and I heard it and I really liked it. I thought it was great. It turns out she's been putting records out for about a decade, if you count to the EPs at the start. And um, and I sort of... Um, I'd, I'd, Sort of, a, she passed me by previously, but um, she, um, she, she, I thought it was just, just had great style about it, and I'll definitely be investigating more of her of her sort of records, really, because I, I really like her sound, and I think she's got a, a lovely voice as well. This was taken from an album of hers, which was released in September last year. Um, like all modern things, Satie, I didn't realise why people were spelling things so strangely. According to a friend of mine who's a music journalist, it's to try and outwit internet search engines, oh. apparently. This is why churches, the band, spell right. their name with a V instead of a U. And uh, this is apparently a thing that young people have to think about nowadays when they when they, mm. uh, when they they form bands. So her album, third year album this comes from, is called Trip Nine Love. And it's by, stylized as all lowercase, trip with a number nine, and then love is all one word, and then dot, 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 question mark, question mark, question mark, which I assume is to outwit mm. every search engine in the I land. If Ask Jeeves would be found wanting at that, wouldn't he? But anyway, <laughs> uh, that was, uh, turns out, and that was F22 is the name of the track. New to me as well, very much, but uh, very affecting and hypnotic. Fascinating um, to hear a new track like that. Well, I'm, I'm glad. And also, also produced, um, sort of co-produced and co-written by uh, Mika Levy, who yes, um, is, is, uh, was originally, those of us that like me that sort of cut our teeth in the new rave era will remember Mika Chu and the, and the Shapes, mm. but she also is a... Um, uh, a the um, a sort of film composer of note as well. Increasingly, they they've done all sorts of um, uh, Under the Skin by Jonathan Glazer in 2013 was was that, and also uh, they did the soundtrack for Zone of Interest, which is uh, which is getting quite a lot of uh, notices at the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, over the last 20 years or so, many people have found um, inadvertent fame on the internet from way back 2002, mm. a kid waving a golf ball retriever in the manner of a Star Wars lightsaber. <laughs> He's 37 now, by the way. Um, Alex oh, don't at, say that. It's like, the, it's like, the, like the, 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 the baby in the sun in the Teletubbies now has children of her own or oh. something mad like that. Alex at Glastonbury, who climbed on stage to sing yes. Tiago Silva with Dave. Um, he's only, he's still only 21, um, Alex. He was only 16 when he did that. Oh, that, was, um, that was mad about that, wasn't it, really? Yeah, we've had the Ice Bucket Challenge, Gangnam Style, Re- Rebecca Black's Friday. So when annoying greengrocer Greg Wallace completed <laughs> the questionnaire that would lead to the publication of My Saturday, mm. a regular column in The Telegraph, we must assume that he had no idea that his self-aggrandizing and vomit-inducing answers would lead to that very same column going the extra mile and becoming an internet sensation over the last week. Perhaps, Jules, you can give some insights into the Saturday highlights of this pompous, irritating, self-important twerp. Well, I think this is best described. First of all, there's not there's not much to disagree in that. The funniest thing about it for me was the fact that so occasionally my parents are, are unexpectedly good at impressionists. Um, of sort of d- d- describing sort of people that collide. I can only describe it as collide with their kind of experience in pop culture. And we had uh, lunch with my parents at the weekend and Dad said to me, that shouty man has been in the news, hasn't he? And I went, what man, Dad? And he went, oh, I can't remember, you know, the factory man. Wow! 
Wow! And uh, there was a one-word impression, of, and instantly the whole room went Greg Wallace because Wow! It's sort of Greg Wallace, isn't it? And I, I mean, so I find him very—I've always found him a very sort of odd person, I must say. Um, he—he—he he seems to be kind of. His experience of life as a judge on MasterChef seems to be kind of hyper-real, is how I can describe it, in that he sort of describes everything that's happening around him in very minute detail. And uh, uh, Grace Denton, second mention for her in this podcast, went on the Fortunately podcast once and, and tried to, dis- to say to Free Glover and Jane Garvey how good Greg Wallace was at tasting a plate of food and describing how it tasted. Do you them said... Yeah, my nine-year-old can do that. There is always something a little bit kind of overexcitable child about Greg Wallace. It's very strange. But um, he is one of life's enthusiasts. I mean, Greg Wow Wallace, you have to you have to give him that at least. Here in a hairnet in a factory where they had 87 million jelly beans in one factory was quite a highlight <laughs> the other week. But anyway, he, he, they did this kind of My Saturday article in the in the Telegraph. And we once did the Strange Sunday of... of um, Nina Wadia, didn't we? we? Did. Um, so these things were always slightly sort of fraught with risk, or at least fraught with with people being being sort of. Uh, well, this has been filed under the internet account Accidental Partridge, in that part of this was <laughs> by Alan Partridge. It didn't seem completely. Um, at first, it didn't seem sort of burdened with overly burdened with self awareness, and and B, he, <laughs> I mean, it was very strange in the, and we will go on to talk about aspects of this, but. He um he he seemed to spend a lot of his day on his own, which I, I considering he had a family, I found a bit bizarre. Um, he he seemed to have some very strange decision making processes. So he um he he <laughs> wakes up at five a.m., reads for an hour, makes himself a coffee. I don't know if he makes anyone else a coffee. Apparently not from this, and checks his emails and has a look at the sign up number for his health program. Remember this, Terence, because it will become relevant. Mm, okay. Um, he then, at 7am, he goes to the gym half an hour before it opens, but they let him in earlier so he has a swim and sauna by myself. Can you imagine Greg Wallace standing outside your work waiting to be <laughs> let in? Anyway, he works out five days a week. He does, he does, um, he goes on to the, uh, walking on a treadmill whilst reviewing his to-do list. He says, okay, this man is managing his time well. Okay, fair enough. Um. He tries to do about 50,000 steps a week. That's all very well and good. Um, 50,000 steps in one a, go? In a week, he says. Oh, he does about 7,000 a day, sorry. which is probably reasonable. He says he's, he's lost a lot of weight, which he has. And he says, I have less than 18% body fat. That is a totally normal thing that somebody says. And a six-pack. Really? But I have a belly that bloats. I guess we all have our imperfections. That's very noble of you, Greg. Anyway, um, this health routine continues at half ten when he meets his PA, Helen. I almost want to call her the long-suffering Helen because I feel that she might yeah. be. But anyway, they meet at the local harvester for their breakfast of bacon, sausage and fried egg. Where is Greg Wallace's healthy eating program? I want to <laughs> sign up if that is what this is. That is totally something I can do. Um but one thing which I do kind of, um, I do sympathise with him on this, actually. Yeah. And he could get done in for being accidentally partridge here. He says, people say to me, I didn't expect to see you in here. Look, they do grilled chicken, there's a salad bar, and I've never been disappointed. I've regularly been disappointed in three-star Michelin restaurants around Europe, but never in a harvester. I don't think that's wrong, actually. Certain, me and my, my half often talk about this. Certain places 
continue to exist because they do simple things very well. We were out on Saturday. We had our lunch in a garden centre. We had a lovely time. I, I, I quite admire Greg Wallace for being very kind of true to life, really. And what do we want from our celebrities? Actually, I quite like someone that, that goes to the gym and then goes to Harvester afterwards. Yeah. That feels like my sort of thing. Um, things take a bit of a strange turn in that he has breakfast at half past ten. Or so he usually sits down for it at half past ten. By twelve o'clock, he is eating lunch again. So, so again, I feel I feel some kinship with Greg here that he stops eating and then starts again. But it reminds me of the felt pigs at the beginning of the Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol, who were in their top hats and tails, and one of them goes, "Ah, breakfast was lovely. Yes, that was. What should we do now? How about lunch? Okay, yes." So Greg <laughs> Wallace is one of the pigs at the start of Muppet Christmas Carol, who I like very much, by the way. That's not a criticism per se. Um, and so his wife's made his soup. Um, ready on the table. Greg's a bit old school, isn't he? Anyway, mm. um, spend some time with his his child at half one, um, who is nonverbal autistic, and he says that he's seeking company. They'll play in the garden together, which is lovely. He then makes comments, um, and we'll, we'll talk about him and his son and his family a bit later. Mm. But he, he he makes comments saying um, that um, he basically says that he didn't want a child, but his wife did. Which, to be Ooh. honest. I wouldn't have put in a national newspaper, no, really. I no. didn't think that was very wise. And he requested he requested two things. I just requested two things. The word just here is doing quite a lot uh-uh. of heavy lifting, so Terence, uh-uh. I warn you. Um, yeah. I just requested two things. That we had help in the house, so her mum moved in. <laughs> and secondly, that we had at least one week of you when we holiday just the two of us. Okay, I can kind of sympathise yeah. with that. I get that. But... I I think I know what would happen if I told my other half that we had to move move her mum in because if, if we wanted to, I'm not sure that would go well. There's also a, 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 another accidental moment where he describes himself as an amateur historian. Um, and how do amateur historians best carry out this activity? Apparently, it's spending two hours by themselves in the home office playing Total War Saga, Thrones of Britannia, set in 878 AD. So very, he also very magnanimously cooks dinner for the family once a week. So apparently, oh, that once happens. a week. Oh, good for him. Um, <laughs> 8 p.m. Bed. I've tried sitting on the sofa eating biscuits, but I don't find it fulfilling. I'm really sorry, pal, but I think you're doing it wrong. Because <laughs> I've never found a, an instance where... Well, I don't know. Anyway, very, very bizarre interview. Um, I, One could say at least he was being honest, I suppose. And at least he isn't one of these celebrities that lives their life in a macrobiotic way. Um, I was listening to the, the Rest of Entertainment podcast, and Marina Hyde and Richard Osman discussed this. And they did talk about the fact that there are a lot of celebrities who, when, when you go through their day... Like, Mark Wahlberg gets up at half 2am, apparently. Oh and and everyone's kind of days, all these big Hollywood actors and actresses, which I know Greg Wallace is not, as much as, as, much as Inside the Factory, wow, etc., is fun. Um, all of these people, being an actress, an actor nowadays in Hollywood, you have to spend about six hours a day at the gym, particularly for <laughs> in the Marvel films. It does, being famous sounds very tedious. He Greg Wallace has made being famous sound less tedious here particularly the eating i'm here for the eating in this it's great but it's a very peculiar set of affairs and he has been rather indiscreet about aspects of his family life which is is don't necessarily throw him in a good light i think but we can we can talk about aspects of this 
Well, it, it never ceases to amaze me how some celebrities become so very full of their own false importance yeah. that they become immune. They they no longer have that awareness that hopefully we all have. I hope uh, that moment <laughs> that, when we might say, to, yeah, you know, when we <laughs> say to ourselves, "Oh, I'm going to make a right Egypt of myself here," and you know, sort of, you, know you stop yourself. Also, that the the vanity seems to extend with this fellow. Mm. Um, well, it, it, clearly not running this absurd polemic past his agent or anybody of well, manager. I mean, I, I wonder if Helen was consulted over Brexit well, for this. I, I suspect not, not. Yeah. I mean, the, the Alan Partridge, as you say, travel tavern escapades at his local harvester <laughs> restaurant. I've never been disappointed in a harvester. But yes, and they the are worst... quite good in fairness to Greg. Oh, no, no, too, yes. Yeah. I mean, a harvester, like um, one could almost say as well, like, say, McDonald's, they do yeah. what they do. You yeah. know. Exactly. what you're going to get you're not going to be surprised and that is often no. a good thing if you're yes, just after absolutely. something simple absolutely um no th- th- i thought the worst of all was um it, well apart from what we're going to go to talk about um the i'm an amateur historian thing where he plays a, a, a computer game and he's locked away for two hours every day. And I was thinking, his, his family are probably thinking, after reading this article, his family are probably thinking, stay in there, mate. Kill a few more Vikings. I was going to say, exactly. By all means, do that before you cook the one meal we get from you Certainly. a week. Thanks for your contrib. I, I feel sorry for him for making a fool of himself. But maybe he should just stick to yelling on, on these tedious television shows. I was going to say, wow, would presumably be a better way to, to express himself, I think. You, you wanted? Did you want to say more about his um, well, his family so, life? So this rather stuck in my craw, I must say. Mm. Um, so, so obviously this went viral, and he ended up sort of responding to it. And he there was then a follow up piece in the Telegraph saying that he was deeply saddened, saddened by sort of backlash to comments about his autistic son. So. So I agree that people's family are not fair game. But what I found odd about this article was that he was sort of complaining that people have been having a go at his son and his family. And he said he wasn't unwanted. We, you know, we tried the IVF for two years and all this kind of stuff. He, he seemed to mistake. He seemed to think people were having a go at, at, at the child and his family. People weren't doing that. People were saying... Right. Why are you spending two hours playing Total War Saga or whatever it is? And maybe his fury should be with the Telegraph and the way that he was quoted, which may have been mischievous, to put it lightly. But he... I doubt they would have printed anything he didn't say. No, exactly. Well, this is my view, Seti. And and it seemed to be that Greg Wallace was... This is how I interpreted this deflecting, you know, sort of mockery and criticism of his ridiculous antics and his lack of self-awareness by then saying, oh, it's not fair game to criticise my son. No, you're right, Greg, it isn't. But I didn't feel people were criticising him. There was then a photo of him and the son. And I I don't know, I, I just felt a little bit, the impression I got was that people were being, sort of that was being used as a bit of a, distraction and I didn't see I mean I'm not on Twitter so much nowadays but I didn't see much sort of people being unkind about the sun what I saw people saying is you know it seemed you know to spend an hour an hour and a half or so with your son and then two hours playing a computer game in the context of an interview where you've said that you didn't want children but agreed to have it because of your wife wanting a child and you then moved her mum in 
it, you know, I, I felt a little bit there. It was like, oh, don't criticise my son. It's like, I, I didn't feel people were. I felt they were criticising him. And actually, if anybody brought his son into it, it was him having mm. a photo with him in the Telegraph. I, 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 I didn't enjoy that. No, it was, and that was very unwise and would have been one of those comments that um, a decent agent manager would have filtered out. Would have, yeah, would have said no. And I, and I do bit. feel that then dragging dragging your your autistic four year old yeah. for a photograph in the Telegraph yeah. is, I felt that I, I, I didn't oh, feel that made yeah. things better. Put it oh. that way. But anyway. BBC Radio are at it again. Um, oh, they're always at it. They're always at it. They're at it. Um, finding they still have the ongoing problem of listing figures going through the basement, analysing why and getting the answer wrong and making it <laughs> worse by terrible decision making. And fewer, fewer and fewer people listen to music radio. That's just the way it is. You can make your own playlists on Spotify or YouTube or Tidal mm. and there'll be no awful songs. You pick your own, no irritating presenter young people don't even own radios the only people still listening to music radio and that nothing wrong with doing so are people who identify with a particular presenter or presenters or even that station they like them and their style and they are more equally as important the the presenters often as equally as uh, important as the music but the bbc see radio audiences dwindling and dwindling what do they do Mm. they launch a new tranche of spin-off stations with unwanted presenters to simply give more of the same, only diluted to an ever tinier audience. Mm. Now, George, they're kidding themselves as they bury, they, they're burying their heads ever, ever deeper into the, the sand in the basement of Broadcasting House. It's hard to disagree here, I must say. It seems it seems very strange, the decisions that are being made. The decisions that they seem to be making seem to be getting rid of hugely popular presenters yeah. um, who then go and find happiness and fulfilment elsewhere, Ken Bruce being the most obvious example of this. Um, uh, for, uh, for you know, sort of, uh, you know, also, wisest decision everybody ever made, keeping intellectual property in Popmaster. He's had a TV show out of that as well now, I know. It's very, very strange uh, sort of way that they're proceeding. So, yes, they 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 seem to get rid of the shows that, that were popular, not necessarily... I mean, I'm annoyed at Radio 2 because a lot of its evening programming was really quite good and they've gradually got rid of it all. Uh, Mark Lamar was good and they got rid of him. Mark Radcliffe seems to be sidelined. Claire Teal's big band special, which was brilliant, that's gone. Um, they they seem to have realised that they should have fought harder to keep Ken Bruce. Um, they, rather than just, like you say, realising that perhaps they ought to get a proper replacement rather than the sort of... Um, Standingness of Vernon Kay, who bless him, still feels like a stand-in. Um, all they're doing instead is they're at their sort of advertising spin-offs for different stations, and you know, sort of, it's almost like they're trying to compete with things like Classic Gold and, of course, Greatest Hits Radio, which increasingly is a is a roster of people that that used to be popular on Radio Two that 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 were then sort of shuffled off. The amount of people that turn up there and. It just, to me, seems like, as you say, they seem to be reaching the wrong conclusion, which is, why set up, if they keep setting up spin-offs, what is Radio 2? I mean, this this Telegraph article describes it, and I think it's a really good description of, you know, what what's going to happen now at Radio 2. We have, well, we, well, we have to, um, 
what will this launch do to the new to the existing Radio 2 schedules? Will we now have to endure a wall-to-wall cocktail take that and Ed Sheeran, as it puts it? Um, or will we still be able to hear Mix of Ears? And that, I think, that's what Radio 2 is failing to understand, I think, here, is that part of the thing that made Radio 2 good for a very long time was the mix of, of different music eras you could hear. And it went through, I think, a real purple patch in the 90s and the noughties when it started to play things like sort of Bell and Sebastian and stuff that was a little bit more mm. a little bit more out there but still fitted their general sort of mood of being reasonably gentle and listenable. And, and then some interesting original programming in the evening of different genres um the idea that oh well if this if this means there's a sort of pre-1980 station are they not going to play anything pre-1980 on radio too because that seems a massive <laughs> own goal to me Indeed. if so in the same way as you know radio one having a spin-off of noughties and, and tens you could firstly i can't believe we're nostalgic for a decade and ended four years ago but anyway the fact that you know that they have that I can understand that a little bit more because I suppose Radio 1 is meant to be about the now and it's meant to be ultra-contemporary and they've tried more to do that in the last the last of the few years. It's still technically meant to be 18 to 34 in its kind of appeal. Although, as I said to a friend of mine once when I was age 29 and I said I'm not enjoying Radio 1, she went, they don't want a studio. We're too old. We're within the bracket, but we're too old. They're, they're searching for younger audiences. If you're searching for younger audiences, yes, I can understand why you don't want to do, don't do throwbacks. But the whole point of radio 2 is that it that it goes across eras so if you're starting a spin-off for radio 2 that is pre-1980 is that not knocking out a big chunk of what radio 2 is meant to do i don't understand no this on, on about these spin-off stations the madness of providing more of the same for for dwindling radio one listeners who don't consume radio it's it's matched only by a, the radio 3 version launching Calming classical music as a, as a, as a spin-off station. Well, I which thought is a, that was what was Radio Three was meant to be doing anyway. What? Well, it's exactly what Classic FM does: well, um, calming classical music in little handy little bite sizes. And and the, I think again the main point that I was saying about how people don't listen to the radio anymore. Who needs um, a Radio Three version when there are hundreds? And I checked today, there are literally hundreds of calming classic playlists well, on Spotify. So, you feel like, yeah, you feel like saying if Radio 3 is going to do something with classical music, I mean, I think my hatred of Wagner is well documented on this podcast. My apologies to our friend Adrian, who listens, that is a big right. Wagner fan, to the point where he had one of those Beatles-style T-shirts, you know, the ones that say Paul and John and Ringo, oh, and yes. George and Ringo, with the four with the four operas of the Ring Cycle listed on it, which is excellent. <laughs> so big, big fan of, the, of Wagner and the Ring Cycle. I've always hated Wagner. Having said that, and, and one of the reasons why I... I don't think that the, would be in calming classical music. Well, this the is what I'm saying. Oh, right. this, is, this is the point I'm making, albeit circuit circuitously so apologies but um but so i went off listening to radio for years and years ago because they went through a big ring cycle phase <laughs> of, uh, on radio three and they and they cycled around the ring cycle quite a lot and i just said it's always sodding wagner i'm not listening anymore but then i then i thought the point of radio three is that it uh, is it surely if you're going to do classical music and there are hundreds of other calming classical stations you rightly say then surely perhaps that is the place for Wagner perhaps that is the place to do stuff that is more challenging and more Good interesting point. 
I am Very not going point. to complain about Late Junction again because I know you're still no. complaining about Late <laughs> But But again, that does loop into this. That, that This is yet another example, like that was, of the BBC losing sight of what its public service broadcasting licence is for and what it is able to do and what it has the space to do that the commercial stations don't. What is the point of com- of competing with the commercial stations when it's all when they're already there? This is just yet another sort of self defeating shot in the f- in the foot by itself by the BBC when it should be, you know, rather than kowtowing to the government and 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 you know kowtowing to people that keep making threats to it. All you are going to do by trying to compete with the with the public with the private sector is to remove the one last remaining reason for your existence and do yourselves in. Stick up for what you're meant to be doing and do that well, rather than trying to do what everybody else does, which will literally be the end of you. Well, this is this is it. I mean, with the BBC's future in jeopardy, but they they just keep digging and digging deeper towards their exactly. own demise, which is is a very sad uh, sight to see. It's maddening and distressing. I agree. We have more to come. Several farewells this week. And we, we, we look at the lives of, among others, Aston family man Barrett, composer and producer Steve Brown, and mm. shockingly news we got just before we started recording, yeah. Steve Wright in the afternoon. Yeah, um, yeah, A new Bob Marley movie is released this week. And yeah. from the soundtrack, here's Casey Musgraves. Rise up this morning, smile with the rising sun. Sweet songs, melodies pure and true, saying, This is my message to you.
my favourite musicians and an inspired choice to cover mm. this track from the new movie Bob Marley mm. One Love, which is released this week. Um, I've written or show run four Bob Marley documentaries since 1981. Oh, and I was, I was asked to be involved in this movie, but I had to turn it down at the time. Um, I'm glad it's finally got a release. It was be, it was in de- in development for six years. Um, <laughs> from the soundtrack, the splendid Casey Musgraves and Three Little Birds. That was really good. I really like Casey Musgraves. She's somebody who I very much approve of. She's where Taylor Swift was for me a few years ago, sort of vaguely country-leaning, very much approve of her, haven't spent very much time with her music, but have liked everything that I've heard. And I have now written Casey Musgraves and underlined it on my notepad next to it here so that I can actually go and listen to her. Because I did that with Taylor Swift and I really enjoyed it. So I really hope that I'm going <laughs> to find time to do the same things because I think she's marvellous. I, I, everything I, I've heard of Casey Musgraves, I like and approve of. Anybody else who follows in Juliet's path and um, listens to a bit of Casey in the next week, you won't be disappointed. Yeah. Um, she's splendid. A couple of weeks ago, we played a track by the Spinners and we said how much we like their music. And mm. um, just by a coincidence this week, the last original member of the band, Henry Famber, died. He only retired from the group last mm. year and he was with the Spinners from 1954 when we see Bruce Springsteen these days, he's still on good form, but it's fair mm. to say he looks like what he is, a 74-year-old musician, 74-year-old well, quite, man. Yeah. So it's amazing to consider that his mother only died this week. Adele Springsteen was 98. Mm, amazing. Now, she saved up to buy him his first guitar when Bruce was only seven years old. But many Springsteen fans will know Adele, uh, Jules, from the number of times he called her up onto the stage to dance with him during Dancing in the Dark. Yes, I mean, so you'd think that Courtney Cox is the most famous person that's been pulled up on stage to dance during Dancing in the Dark. I've seen that clip so many times. Everyone always thinks they're the first person to show it on something as well. Nobody ever is. But anyway, um, but yes, for me... The true star, of course, Adele Springsteen's dancing. Um, it's uh, He's shared a lovely video of them having one last dance together, which was really beautiful, I thought. Um, yes. She was formerly Zerilli, which is such a great name. And um, her childhood uh, home is now the site of a graphic design business, which I rather like. Um, and uh, and he, he, uh, he quoted lyrics from his song, The Wish, which was dedicated to Adele and how she saved that to buy a seven-year-old Bruce's first guitar, which is right up there with Dolly Parton's coat of many colours in terms of people writing about their parents and making me absolutely cry my eyes out. So um, so there's always much to like about Bruce. Um, uh, the, the, they're pulling her up to dance. They always get shared, those videos. And I just always think that Bruce Springsteen just seems like a really solid guy. And I love the fact that his family are always very important to him. I love the fact that all of his band knew his mum as well and were like sort of quoting mm. about her. I just I just think that the sort of the way that Bruce Springsteen gathers people around him and that everyone knows each other, I think is really lovely, actually. And the fact that, you know, his mum knew his backing band, I think is, is really great. I think that's, that's so lovely. Um, R.I.P. to Adele. But what an innings at 98 as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She didn't know what she was starting when she bought that guitar for Bruce in 1957. 
uh, a key member, indeed bandleader with Bob Marley and the Whalers, um, Aston family man Barrett, mm. died this week. Mainly playing bass, he was with Bob Marley from the early 1970s. Now, I don't mean to disrespect Aston Barrett, Jules, but this nickname, family man, was seen as amusing mm. a generation or so ago. But yes. the nickname was Cain because he told the BBC in 2013 that mm. he fathered 41 children, 23 girls and 18 boys. <sighs> That's a little bit flamboyant, isn't it? Uh, uh, I mean, yes, that, that is one way of putting it. Um, yes, very much sort of Jamaica at a certain time, shall we say, um, yes. and, and and sort of reggae culture at a certain time, possibly as well. Um, yeah, like you say, that that bit less, perhaps less easy to dwell on nowadays. But um, but a, a, a brilliant bass player, and I've actually played quite a lot of his stuff. Um, when I used to do a show called Lots of Words, um, he played in the Upsetters, and I played some played some stuff on 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 that show. Um, he was um, that they were the studio band, and he um he did a lot for Lee Scratch Perry in. 1970-71 and his younger brother Colton played the drums as well apparently What we've talked about brothers in bands before, brothers as a rhythm section that's quite an interesting, interesting idea isn't it really um, he um, he managed to so when Bob Marley and the Wavers broke away from Reed Scratch Perry to form their Tough Gong label, they really can name things can't they, what a great name uh, the Barretts left the Upsetters and, and were stayed as the Wailers rhythm system, I love the fact that everybody around that team has played Played on everyone else's records, it would seem. Um, the, the the band went through the Wailers went through various different sort of phases, but Barrett kind of remained really. Um, and he also mentored younger musicians like Robbie Shakespeare of Sly mm. and Robbie fame, who also passed away um, a, a couple of years ago, I think now. So, um, so I'm a he just worked with Bunny Lee as well. He actually. He claims now, at least this this uh, Guardian article, actually the family man thing originally he said came because he saw his fellow musicians as family and took a prominent role mm. arranging the work they did together. Um, so mm. he didn't. I mean, he he feels that it didn't come from the the sons okay. and But anyway, um. Obviously, you know that that is for him to know. <laughs> open, but, um, open to others may have. What was it? What was it the Queen said? Others may have yes. alternative uh, memories. Uh, yes, indeed, you may recall it differently. But interestingly, yeah. um, the Barrett brothers played on on uh, on the liquidator of your Chelsea's face. I didn't know so that. That's they good did. To know. Yeah. And um, and there were some Rax Romeo songs which were a little bit too rude to reference. Oh, yes. They played they played on those as well. And um, they also and I do admire people that do this. They toured the UK with the Upsetters that that November and um, to plug the chart success of the instrumental Return of Django, a record on which they did not play. So uh, so I'm always a fan of people touring records right up there with Girls Aloud flogging their cover of Jump by the Pointer Sisters off the back of jump being used in Love Actually and they used lots of footage of Love Actually in their video their version wasn't used in the film Love Actually the Pointer Sisters was used in Love, in Love Actually so I'm always a fan of people uh, people being a bit cheeky shall we say well all I know is 
they'll have to book a very big church to get all of his 41 children and then all of his grandchildren in. I mean uh, I mean you know I, it, it's going to be quite the occasion isn't it's it gonna be some, um, an old friend and colleague of mine from the old spitting image days Steve Brown died this week uh, we worked on the show at the same time for about five years mm. um, he, he was very quick-witted and funny and also very warm-hearted easy to work with more recently Jules many people will know him from his work with Rumour and Laura Mubela. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I I saw Laura Mubela um play live, and uh, yeah, it was a very interesting evening. But I'm a huge fan of Rumour. I think she's absolutely fantastic. I used to play a lot on my smooth sailing show. Um, I love the fact that she's literally been anointed by Richard Carpenter as like the keeper of the soft rock flame, and has also spent time in Bacharach as well. I think. And Steve Brown was was a, a key part in her early success, particularly um, Seasons in the Sun. Um, her sort of lovely kind of um, that boys don't cry album she did as well the lovely covers album um yeah really really sort of enjoyed his work with rumor that's how i knew steve brown best r.i.p was such a shock today to learn of, of the death of the British broadcaster and DJ Steve Wright, um, for, forever known as Steve Wright in the afternoon. Yes. Um, wh- where I live is within reach of what is now called rather soullessly Hart Berkshire, but was formerly mm. 210 FM um, based in Reading. And in the late 1970s, about 45 years ago now, um, I listened to Steve Wright's first radio shows where he teamed up with Mike Reed to present the Read and Write show. Wow. I, I didn't even know that was a pairing. Gosh, I bet that was a lot. It was. Well, yeah, I, mean, it was <laughs> I wonder whether they were put together because their their names, of course, read yeah, and write. Um, very good. And, very and good. it's where, where he met Gavin McCoy, who later was to provide so many characters for his Steve Wright in the afternoon show from 1981 on BBC Radio One. Uh, an immensely talented and dedicated broadcaster, yeah. Jules. Yes, well, we've spoken about him previously. Yeah. And the fact that he used to fly over to America at weekends yes. in, in the long before the days of internet radio, obviously, to listen to radio shows. Yes, to sort to of get, get ideas. ideas. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, really committed to the craft of radio. I love the fact that everybody at BBC Radio seemed to unironically love him and everyone's kind of professionalism seemed to fall away. Again, to, to sort of help back to the Fortunately podcast, they went to see Steve Wright in Radio 2 and um, I think they actually, I think Jane Garvey asked him for a signed photo. I mean, they work together, but everybody just seemed to really love him. I, 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 I have to say... He did. He was. He did do Steve Wright in the afternoon, as indeed you you you, you mm. said. That is his full name. Um, he used to do a feature on that called Serious Jockin. Um, right. you had to drop the G, and it was this bizarre kind of. It was one of those things where I couldn't work out if it was dreadful or brilliant, and I couldn't work out if he was in on the joke or not. And that was, I think, what what made him such an interesting figure. He was always quite ridiculous. Yet, unlike sort of Greg. Wallace's kind of partridge-esque sort of thing we had earlier on you always got the impression he was quite he was sort of a, a, a wise to his own kind of absurdity and I've actually found my description of this um, and I will read this out. Um, my Facebook on 27th of November 2013 so Terence begins mm. oh god Having new tyres on my cars led me to hear serious jockeying on Radio 2. Obviously, I already knew Steve Bright is a bit ridiculous, but phonetically paced, a frantic mix of the poppier end of Motown, 
banging early 90s rave. Yes, really. Horrible 80s-esque motel, <laughs> mobile disco type stuff. And the odd dash of genuine quality funk, e.g. Parliament, interspersed with Steve Wright reading shout-outs for the best quality DIY store in Marleybone and Steve in Torquay instructing him to have it large on Radio 2 at 4.30 in the afternoon. It's downloadable as a podcast, apparently. I still have no idea whether it's amazing or terrible, but I can definitely <laughs> recommend it as an experience either way. I, I just find I, that was a serious jockeying was, was genuinely one of the most alarming yet diverting things I've ever heard. I have to say that um, his Sunday morning love songs, bless him, I, I, if you it's not for to, you, is it? If I had to go on Room 101 and, you know, when they say put your things in, yeah. Therapy Love Ballads, I have no objection to him, but Therapy Love Ballads really are my idea of hell. They are my most hated kind of genre, if indeed they are a genre of music. Having said that, though, I was driving home this evening when the news had broken of his, his uh, sudden departure. Um, firstly, I was struck by just how grief-stricken his colleagues were. I mean, Tara Cox, and Joe Wiley both cried and on air and had to, and had to go into records, as did the traffic person, I think. There seemed to be genuine sort of shock. And all those, and lots of listeners wrote in, and so many people had said, I was going through a really horrible time of my life. And I found yes. Steve Wright's right, Sunday Love Songs really comforting. Various people telling stories of his kindness. Joe yes. Wiley told a story of how... Her sister is, she's got a younger sister called Frances who is obsessed with Pick of the Pops. She absolutely loves Pick of the Pops. And, um, and so Joe Wiley asked a message Steve Wright and asked if he could sort of do a shout out for her or do a little message for her. And he sent her a special recording. He didn't just do a, a voice note. He actually made a little recording for her sister oh, and did all the jingles. And she said her sister sort of, you know, li- likes to listen to things a lot, sort of repetitively over and over again. And he made this whole show for her. And just what a oh, kind thing lovely. to do. It yes. was such a lovely thing to do. And actually for all that, you know, for all that, you know, serious jockeying, I'm pretty sure it did give me a headache when I listened to it. <laughs> it no one else was doing anything like that. A genu- he was a genuine pioneer. His kind of zoo radio. I think the reason why zoo radio annoyed me for years is that everybody that did it was inferior to the way that Steve Wright did it. And he was really good at characters. And and I just... And, and also, hey, Steve, love the show. I love the fact that people used to write in with that. And it became, it should have been irritating, but it became like they used to deliberately read them out all the time. And um, in my occasional broadcasting uh, broadcasting adventures, a friend of mine you, who was uh, talking about Steve right with today, he sent me a message saying, I always used to say, love the show, Steve, after your radio shows. No higher praise, my friend. And I, he's absolutely right. Um, I just, I, the thing about, yeah, like I say, Steve Wright was was always a little bit ridiculous but he sort of knew he was and that's what made him great really and also when people will queue up uh, to say how kind you were i somehow feel that you've done life right really those um character driven zoo format shows were so innovative in the early mm. 80s and it took the bbc five years to see sense and revive his afternoon show after he left radio one in 1991 mm. and he continued of course to thrive on radio two until 18 months ago when radio two decided it was time to move on with another presenter but there's there's never been a more dedicated presenter than steve wright as you as you Mm. rightly say after his shows finished each day he would go and have some dinner and then return to broadcasting house spending hours and literally hours 
editing and refining interviews and humorous inserts Amazing. for the next day's show. Yeah. I, I, insisting he, he, he wanted to get them edited to the merest fraction of a second. He hated moments of silence or gaps on the well, air. I mean, that's true. Although occasionally it used to make it sound a little bit unnatural and unnerving uh, that, that, you know, that, that there was sort of no umming and erring as I've just unloaded I, I wouldn't there. disagree with that. Yeah, Having but it was just that, his style. Yeah. But oh, he, absolutely. He, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't fault his dedication. Sorry, yeah. that's not a criticism. It, no, it, no. It, no, really, right. He really did work incredibly hard and seemed to be very, very loved. And I, like I say, the, the, the distress and sadness of his colleagues earlier on, I mean, there, there's no better. I'm so sorry for them. And I think they did so well being on air when they were obviously so emotional. But I'd, uh, there's no better testament to what a good person you are if your colleagues react like that, I think. I, it was It was very, very moving. And Steve, Steve was, um, as many radio broadcasters are, quite a shy man away from the microphone. And so he was never photographed at grand occasions, opening nights or red carpets. But he was a great and innovative broadcaster. So much love to his uh, colleagues, his friends and his family. I think. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Sending sending every every good wish and uh, an RIP, a true titan of radio broadcasting. Well, thanks very much for listening this week. Um, good to have you along as always. Yes, I very much echo another titan of broadcasting for Terence <laughs> in his so comments there. And um, we're popping over, Jules, to Reykjavik for our closing track. Well, you know, just a, a, on, on a sort of what else is there to do on a dark Tuesday evening? Around the world with Juliet Harris. Indeed, just to jet off to Iceland. And get this, people, people of people of broadcasting world, there are artists from Iceland that are not Bjork, as much as I like. <laughs> Or Sid Rose, as much as I love both. Um, so I really like this band. I always feel that they should have perhaps... So when Royksop took took off, sort of um, in the early noughties, Scand- excellent Scandinavian dance band, um, I remember a friend of mine saying to me at the time, yeah, what have they got that Gus Gus haven't? And I thought it was really interesting, uh, sort of an idea of, of people that go huge and people that don't. And I've always enjoyed the music of Gus Gus. And um, I've always been a bit surprised that they haven't been... They haven't sort of exploded in the way that a lot of the sort of dance groups have, particularly the Scandinavian ones. But um, nonetheless, I love this. Um, taken from their album, uh, the, the excellently named Liza More Flexible, which was released in 2018. Ain't that the truth? Um, this is really lovely. I just think this is this builds in a really lovely way, and it's got a beautiful vocal on it. Uh, this is called Lifetime.
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>